welcome to your podcast or mine, where the creative minds behind the mic are interviewed. Now, let's get things started. Here's your host, Sherry. Welcome to another episode of Your Podcast or Mine. I'm Sherry. Today I'm speaking with Glenn Moyer, the creative mind behind the podcast Under the Tartan Sky. Thank you so much for joining me today, Glenn. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So why don't we get things started by giving a short description of your podcast Under the Tartan Sky. Well, okay. The short description is the podcast that is all things Scottish from bagpipes to whiskey. If it's Scottish, I will find someone who knows about it. And it's an interview style program. So if it's Scottish, I'll find somebody who knows about it and talk to them about it. What started your curiosity to discuss everything Scottish? Well, my ancestry is Scott-Irish. I'm typically what they call an Ulster Scot. My ancestors were from lowland Scotland, uh, moved to um, Ireland as part of the uh, founding of the Ulster Plantation in Northern Ireland back in the 1600s, and then another two generations on came to the United States. So that's my ancestry, and I've known that all my life, but it's never really meant much to me, oddly enough, and this sounds crazy. I stumbled upon and started watching a a television show about five years ago called Monarch of the Glen and absolutely fell in love with it and the characters and the storyline, and it it all takes place in Scotland. And and that kind of awakened an appreciation for me to – I thought, well, you know, I'm Scottish, Scott-Irish. I'd kind of like to know more about my ancestry, and I started digging into it. And the long, the short story of the version of the story is that I'm making my sixth trip to Scotland this coming summer. I'm blessed to be able to visit every year now. And so the podcast is a part of that exploration of um, my own family history as well as just my general passion for Scotland. That's very interesting. Is it a passion of yours or a dream of yours to move to Scotland one day? It is, absolutely, and I guess I was quite naive about that. I announced publicly back in 2014, actually before my first visit to Scotland, that I wanted to move to Scotland. That was my goal. I was at a point in life where I'm single. I'm in my mid-60s, so I'm an old guy, and don't have anything to hold me here except my two cats at that time. And I had fallen in love with the place. My first trip over there in 2014 only made that passion run even deeper. And so I announced to the world that I wanted to move to Scotland. I had no idea that immigration is as difficult as it is. And so coming up five years later, I'm still here in the United States, which is not a bad thing. But I've learned a great deal about immigration, and with Brexit and everything else that's going on over in the U.K. now, it's just a really convoluted situation. So it remains a dream that hopefully I'll be able to bring to light someday, but at this point, it's just a dream that I continue to pursue. (laughs) Well, I don't blame you for that. (laughs) Hold on to your dreams, no no matter what your age is, whether you're six or you're 60. So that's what I always say. So I, I agree with that sentiment entirely. I only wish looking back and of course being as, 
we've just gone into the new year and it's a time of reflection and that sort of thing. I, I was just thinking and posted on Facebook the other day, thinking out loud, I wonder what my life might have been like if I had this interest in my ancestry and my heritage when I was a young man, when I was in my 20s and 30s, how different life might have been because it, I think immigration would have been a lot easier at that point. But you know, you you can't look backwards. You have to look forward. So I hold on to the dream, and I continue to, to you know chase it and uh, network and try to find ways to make it happen. So, yeah, not giving up, just continuing forward. Right. <laughs> Good outlook. So uh, you're a veteran broadcast and print journalist. I'm just guessing that podcasting is basically a natural evolution in which to share stories. Am I correct in that assumption? Absolutely, Sherry. Yeah, I started my freshman year in in college, and not to date myself, but that was 1971. I took my first radio broadcasting course, and I had done a great deal of competitive public speaking, even from junior high on. I participated in drama and debate, those kinds of things. So I got into radio at a very young age, as I say, right after I got out of high school and started university. Initially working as a disc jockey, went on later to move into the news world and became a radio and television news reporter and producer and writer and all sorts of things. And so podcasting comes quite naturally to me. I think radio is probably my first love, and podcasting is very much like radio. You talk to an audience that you never see, but you get through various means feedback that tells you either, either yes, you're doing the right thing or no, you're not. But it it is an art form that I really love, broadcasting that is, especially radio. And podcasting is just really a natural outflow from that. It really has kind of taken me back to my youth in that sense. Right, I agree. Uh, The same thing for me. I started uh, college in 1988, fresh out of high school. I started the summer program. So I was 17 at the time, and I loved music, and I found out that the college radio station was there and looking for DJs and so that was my beginning in broadcasting and I wound up taking television and radio in college and enjoying that (laughs) but podcasting is very natural to go into and because I have a love of of that as well. I, I find your show very interesting. It never occurred to me anyone would interview other podcasters. I've actually done a little bit of that on my show. One of my early episodes was I interviewed the host of the Outlander pod. And then my current new episode, I actually interview a friend that I met over in Northern Ireland this past summer who hosts his own show about bagpiping, the Big Rav show. And then my next episode will be uh, two other fellow podcasters that I met up in Inverness in Scotland last summer who do a brilliant um, podcast about Scotland called Stories of Scotland. So I dabble in the idea of, you know, and I kind of thought, well, maybe this is a little weird for me to interview other podcast hosts. And then I came upon you and your show and I thought, wow, this is incredible that this lady is doing this entire podcast, doing nothing but other podcast hosts. So I, I think your program is really unique. Oh, thank you. (laughs) There are other podcasts about podcasting out there that uh, use a a similar format, but I really enjoy doing it, and I like giving a 
spotlight to podcasts that aren't uh, featured regularly. A lot of outlets that talk about podcasting really only focus on the big dogs that are produced by heavy hitters, not the independent so much, which comes from my radio background with promoting unsigned or regional bands. So that that's sure. kind of where the idea came from, but in a different way. So getting back to Under the Tartan Sky, how do you record and edit your show? What is your process? Well, when I started, and I'm coming up on four and a half years now, I'll celebrate the, the fifth anniversary of the show this coming uh, summer in uh, July. So I started with Skype because by the nature of the beast, I'm in the U.S., and 99.9% of my guests are in uh, the UK. They're over in Scotland. And so I had to have a way to be able to talk to them long distance remotely. And so initially started out using Skype. And then fortunately in the last year, uh, two programs, uh, Zencaster and Squadcast FM have come along, which are uh, much more convenient to use, much more high quality audio than you can get through Skype. And it's really a very simple process uh, with those two programs, that software. I simply send an email with a link to my guest, and at the appropriate time, we both click on that link, and we're uh, connected via a low-level VOIP phone call. But the audio is actually recorded locally on our individual computers, mine here, theirs on their computer, and then uploaded to the cloud so that I can download it. So it really gives me studio quality, in most cases, audio. And I liken my show because it's a very casual, relaxed conversation. I'm not a confrontational journalist by any means. So I showed, as they say, having a cup of tea and a conversation over the kitchen table. And so those two programs, Squadcast and and Zencaster, make it very possible to do that. And then I edit in – so I record my interviews. And then I edit in Audacity, which is a free program. A lot of podcasters use it. It works perfectly fine for me. And then I do a lot of post-production. My format is I have open and closing theme music. I have a pro Scotland PSA, if you will, a a spot, as we call it in the business, each time that uh, about Scotland, typically encouraging people to visit Scotland, which is something I think everyone should do. So there's a lot of Uh, post-production that goes into it, not just the editing of the interview, but then building, because I do a voiceover intro and a voiceover outro, and there's the spot, and there's theme music, and there's bumper music, and so you put all that together, and I end up editing about about seven or eight different tracks all blended together um, using Audacity to create the final program. How often do you release the episodes of the podcast? Do you have a specific day or... Do you have a set schedule for that? Boy, that is my big bugaboo, and I wish you hadn't mentioned it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, I don't. I started out trying to do a weekly show, and I have a day job that has to pay the bills. And so I started out trying to do a weekly show, and for the first few months it worked. But it's an the way that I put my show together is an awful lot of work. Plus, it's time consuming to. One, find a subject that I want to know more about. B, locate someone who knows about it. C, contact them and get them to agree to do the interview and then deschedule the interview and then do the interview and, and then do all the post-production and, and then release it and write the blog notes. And it, it's a great deal more work than most people think. And, and so I went from weekly to twice monthly to monthly to this uh, actually averaging 
about one a month. And what I'm, I'm trying this year for the first time is to do what they call seasons. And, and I'm hoping to get eight to ten episodes out. And then I travel a great deal in the summer for my day job, as well as I make an annual trip over to the U.K. when I'm over in Scotland for about a month. And that makes it hard to produce shows during that time frame. So what I'm trying to do is look at a seasonal process where I'll put eight to 10 to maybe 12 episodes out, typically in the November to uh, May time frame. And then I'm going to be taking the summer off and then come back in November with fresh new episodes. So I'm back now trying to do bi-monthly, twice a month. Uh, but my schedule is admittedly very erratic, and, and that's the real downside, the, the one thing that I really need to improve in my show. Well, I can relate because there is such a thing called life on top of (laughs) your podcast. And like you said, there is a lot of work that goes into it, not just the scheduling and locating a guest, but there's also a lot of research that you do in order to make sure that the topic is interesting and also researching the guest so that you have uh, knowledge of who you're speaking to and what you're speaking about, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the great thing, and my, my podcast actually evolved from a blog that I started when I did my first trip over to Scotland. And what I realized was that by doing the podcast and an interview style podcast, I don't have to be the expert, but I do have to know enough to ask intelligent questions. So there is a certain amount of research that has to be done into each episode. And, and as I say, I do a a two or three minute voiceover intro uh, where I kind of set the scene for my guest. So I have to do some research into who my guest is and their background and then, you know, kind of set the scene on whatever subject we're talking about. It might be whiskey. It might be bagpipes. It might be haggis. It it might be uh, steam railways. It it might be tartan. It could be any number of things. So yes, there is a great deal of research that has to be done. And, you know, and I would love to be able to do nothing more than just do my podcast and, and sit and work on it, you know, day in and day out and have it be my livelihood. But that isn't the case. And it, it is a hobby. And it's something I do because I enjoy it. And while I would like to be on a more regular schedule, you know, I do what I can. And fortunately, I have listeners who I guess accept that and those who can't, well, they'll go on and find something else to listen to. (laughs) So in what way has podcasting improved or changed your life for the positive? Oh, well, the biggest thing for me is that because, as they say, my burning interest was to know and learn more about Scotland. And so the podcast has allowed me to meet incredible folks, talk with some amazing people in various uh, different walks of life in Scotland, and learn a great deal about Scotland along the way. I mean, most of the time, I've learned a great deal about tartan, for example. I now have my own tartan because my family ancestry were not a clan and I didn't have necessarily a clan tartan to wear. So I've actually had my own designed and woven now. So I know a great deal more about that. I've never thought about tartan five years ago. And so for me, it's been opening doors to meet people um, of all walks of life. And my travels over to Scotland have done the same. I now have just a wide array of really great friends in Scotland that I would never have met without the podcast and my involvement promoting the podcast on social media and that sort of thing. So that's been the greatest benefit for me is it's introduced me to a great many people. It's broadened my knowledge of 
of a, of a subject that I was quite curious about, i.e. Scotland, and introduced me to some, some great friends. I've taken a look at the tartan that is available, the Glen Moyer tartan, and it's beautiful. The colors are, are beautiful. Thank you. And it's actually available, isn't it? Like you, you could go onto your website and actually purchase it, right? It is, and I debated long and hard about that. I still uh, have plans and, and originally wanted to do two tartans. I was going to do uh, a private family tartan, which is the Glen Moyer tartan. And I had intended and, and still someday would like to do the tartan for the show and under the tartan sky tartan. That's a mouthful. <laughs> but that sort of got put on plan, uh, on hold for a whole lot of reasons. But yes, my personal tartan, I, I agonized a great deal about whether I was going to sell it, uh, make it available to the public or not. And I finally decided I would. So it is available in a, uh, only in, in one product, in a, in a beautiful scarf which is the most unisex product I could come up with uh, with limited budget to, to do all of this. And it's inspired. You mentioned the colors, and, and I'm quite pleased with that because blue is my favorite color, cobalt blue in particular. But the tartan itself was inspired by my ancestry, by my heritage, the Texas flag. I'm a native Texan, born and raised there. And then, of course, my ancestry being Scottish. And so the colors are taken from the Texas flag and the Scottish flag, and there are some additional meanings. The red and the white stripes that are in the tartan obviously come from both the Texas flag and the Scottish flag, but the red was also my father's favorite color, and uh, the white represents pearl, which is my mother's birthstone. So there's some family connection there too. But yes, it's very kind of you to mention it is available on the podcast website in a limited edition. We only did 100 scarves, and so there, there are still some available, but get them while you can. Oh, Glenn, you mentioned that you've been podcasting for a few years now. Have there been any resources that guided you or helped you along the way? No, not really. I'm very much a self-taught podcaster. This is actually my third round of podcasting. I started out several years ago doing some podcasting related to my day job. I'm editor of Ballooning Magazine. Hot Air Ballooning is my vocation and my avocation. And so on. So I publish a magazine for the Balloon Federation of America. And on their website a few years ago, when I first wanted to dip my toes into podcasting, I started doing a weekly kind of a news summary wrap-up sort of podcast about the sport of ballooning. And I put together very basic equipment at the time and did that for maybe a year or two. And I had some minor sponsors financially who were advertisers in the ballooning world who supported the podcast as well. But that then led to me actually being hired to do podcasting for an aviation news service, aeronews.net, for three years. I did audio podcasting for them. And, and so all along the way, I was kind of learning how to do what podcasting is. And, and now I've got my own setup here in, in, in my home where I work from. But I have a source that I absolutely really admire, and that is Rachel Corbett's podcast school. I wish I had been aware of, and I don't even know if she was around when I first started, but I think it's an excellent resource for anyone new getting into podcasting. And I listen to her shows and catch a lot of tips. Some of it I've already, like which microphone to use and whether you should have a condenser mic or a dynamic mic and things like that. I've sorted all that for myself, but I think who does, I think it's a group and it's someone who is asking that for you mentioned that you're a hot air balloon pilot. Do you find that podcasting is similar 
in any way to being a hot air balloon pilot. There's obviously a lot of preparation before getting the balloon in the air, don't you think? <laughs> There's uh, <laughs> some relation. <laughs> um, I've never really thought about that, but yes, there certainly is a great deal of preparation with regard to, you know, when you decide to go fly, you really have to take a hard look at weather and you have to make the right decisions whether to fly or not to fly. And then, of course, there are judgments to be made throughout the course of any given flight leading up to, to landing safely. So I suppose there are some similarities, at least in terms of study and preparation. And podcasting to me is – and one similarity, I guess, is that you really have to be able to kind of handle things on the fly. I don't mean that as a pun, but you have to be able to react. When you're doing an interview show, as you and I are now, you have to be able to react to what's happening in the moment, and ballooning is very much that way. You have to react to whatever the weather is giving you or where the flight might be taking you and, and things that are happening. So it's a very spontaneous medium, as podcasting can be as well. So, yeah, I've never really thought of that as an analogy, but I suppose there are some similarities there. <laughs> also, the the people flying in the balloon with you, <laughs> you have to be aware of what the, what they're going to do or <laughs> as well, I would imagine. I think that's the case for an interview show, too, <laughs> what they're going to say or how they're going to react. Yeah, it, it's very much true. You know, I've flown people who had the reaction you would expect. It's a really wow factor. and They're very excited and taking it all in. I've flown other people who go, uh, you know, is, is, is that all there is? And I just can't get my head around those people. I mean, it's a really unique experience. And and they're like, duh. And it's like, how can you be that way? I don't understand that. And I've had interviews that are that way, especially through my years as a radio and television news reporter. Some interviews, and I've had podcasts that way. I have some that are my favorites. One was with an author. Um, who I met first online through another online friend, and, and I've since, since met both of them in person in Scotland. She and I just had a brilliant conversation. We could have talked for hours, and, and it was an outstanding conversation. And I've had others where it's like pulling teeth. <laughs> you just can't get anything from the person you're interviewing. And those are the toughest kind. I've never yet done an interview and trashed it. I've read different things on some of the forums that I think you and I are both in on Facebook that where people discuss, you know, have you ever done an interview and then decided it really wasn't up to par. I've only done one that in retrospect, I probably would go back and do that. But my show was very new at the time. And, and so I didn't, but it is my least favorite interview. And I'm not going to name names, but yeah, you have to be able to, you have to establish that rapport with the people that you're working with, whether it's, in our situation here as an interview or, as you say, likening it, likening it to passengers in a balloon, you need to have a good rapport with those people in a very fluid situation. And that's certainly the same thing that happens in an interview-style podcast. <laughs> exactly. Just being an interviewer, I think the most frustrating part of it, and I've dealt with this in not necessarily this podcast, but – as a music journalist and speaking with bands, sometimes they're grumpy. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. They haven't had a good meal. They've been on the road for two months, and they really don't want to do the 
interview, so extracting an answer from a grumpy musician, I think, is probably one of the most frustrating things that I've ever done. <laughs> but then again, there there are there are some that I've done, and you really don't expect that it's going to turn out the way that it does, and it's a surprise, and it's it's a great conversation, and that's the best kind, especially if you go into it not expecting uh, the worst, but not expecting the best. And if you could get something good out of it, that's the most rewarding part about it. Because if you expect the best yeah. every time and you don't get it, it's very frustrating. You're right. You'll end up very frustrated and disappointing. But but boy, when it does work, isn't it magical? I, I know, and speaking of music interviews, I had the, the great honor to have Doogie McLean, who is one of Scotland's most beloved singer-songwriters. Not everyone in your audience will know him, but those familiar with Scotland will. And one, I was blown away that he even agreed to be on my program. And two, once we started the interview, we had such fun talking to each other that I I ended up splitting the conversation into two one-hour specials uh, or one-hour episodes. And boy, when, when those kinds of interviews come along, you really just don't want them to end. And I liken it back to the one I was referencing to earlier, the, the author that I interviewed. Uh, she and I have become great friends. And it was just such a great conversation that you just didn't want it to end. And those kind, you know, they make the others all worthwhile. <laughs> They're kind of the icing on the cake, I guess, you know, the sweetener that really makes it worthwhile to do those kinds of shows. Yeah. <laughs> So what advice would you give to someone who wants to podcast? Is, uh, do you offer suggestions or tips? Well, I guess most importantly, I would say if you're going to do a podcast, do it about something that you love. Because if, if you're not interested in it, it's going to come across in your content and your audience is not going to be interested in it and your podcast is going to fail and then you'll go away disillusioned. So the first thing is, Pick a subject that is something that you really have a passion for because that will come across naturally to your audience, whether it's as an interview-type program like ours or it's the type where you just turn the mic on and talk for you know 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it may be, um, whether it be you and a group of other co-hosts who get together and, and discuss a subject. But you know, pick a subject that you really like and have a passion for because it's going to be something – a podcast is something that ideally is ongoing, and if you're going to be talking about it, in my case, I'm moving into my fifth year now, you've got to have a real interest. So pick something that you love. And then the thing that I see that really concerns me, I see so much in the forums, the social media forums, is everybody gets tied up into, oh, how many downloads have I had? You know, I've reached this, this mile mark in downloads. Who cares? You know, I, I do this because I enjoy it and because I hope it brightens someone else's day. And the nature of my show is such that one episode may have 2,000 downloads and the other, just because of the nature of the subject matter, may have 100. I don't care. I'm not wrapped up. I couldn't even tell you how many downloads I get per week or per month or whatever. I don't look at that because to me – that isn't why I do this. I do it for the enjoyment, and I do it to learn, uh, to educate myself, which I do through all the interviews that I do, and and I do it to share my passion for Scotland. And if I share that with one person, I feel like it's a success. If I share it with 10,000 people, 
that's a success. But I don't get wrapped up in the numbers game. And so that's what my biggest advice, I think, is find a subject that you love and don't get wrapped up in the numbers game. If you're doing something that you enjoy and someone else is listening and enjoying, it doesn't matter if it's 10 people who are listening and enjoying it or 10,000. It shouldn't matter. Don't get wrapped up in comparing yourself in the numbers game as to how many downloads you get versus this guy versus that guy. That's really not important. I think that people get tied up with competition as well because there are genres like true crime or music. There are thousands of each, but you have to enjoy the topic, and it really doesn't matter what the other podcast is doing. Just enjoy yourself and don't worry about the other guy's numbers either because that's not going to define you as a podcaster. Yeah, I, I think you're right. As I mentioned, my next episode is going to be an interview I just did with my two friends, Jenny and Annie, and their podcast is Stories of Scotland. Well, in a way, we are competitors, not directly because their show is, is a bit different than mine, but we're talking about the same subject matter. But I don't see myself competing with them. If anything, I see us really cross-promoting each other. And I don't mean that in a marketing sense, but I mean in the sense that we're both doing things, uh, producing shows that are positive and presenting uh, a positive information out there about Scotland, the country they were born in and love. I have ancestry from there in love. And so I, I don't see us as competing, and there's no reason to look at it that way. That wouldn't be helpful at all. On the other hand, we can share ideas, perhaps offline, an idea that I might have that I think might not work for my show, might work for theirs and vice versa. And I recommend their show to, to all of my listeners because I think if, if my listeners are interested in knowing more about Scotland, they're going to be interested in other podcasts about Scotland. And so I think you're right. Trying to compete or, or compare yourself to what others are doing, and they may have a bigger audience than I. Their show is less than a year old. They may have a bigger audience than I do. I don't know. I don't care. That's not the point. The idea is that we're one big community, and together we can all accomplish great things. If we start trying to match ourselves up against each other in our own little genres or niches, then um, you're going to be spending a lot of energy that's going to be counterproductive as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I found that the podcasting community as a whole uh, is very supportive of each other, and they uh, lift each other up in cross-promotion that you were mentioning just now. It's very refreshing in the amount of podcasting groups that you can find on Facebook or the retweets that you can get on Twitter. That's uh, very nice to see as well, though. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And that's why I say, and I mean this sincerely, I was honestly surprised and, and impressed with the whole concept behind your show. I'd not come across anyone else doing this, and I think it is representative of how much of a community podcasting really is. And it doesn't matter whether you're doing true crime or music or Scotland or movie reviews or whatever. We all have things in common, and I've found in the forums that I know you and I probably are both on Facebook and elsewhere on social media, people are more than happy to share their experience, whether it be recommendations for equipment or their experience tracking 
you know, analytics or finding guests or whatever the subject might be. And, and so it's a really supportive community if you just delve into it. And you have to be willing to kind of open yourself up. And I've posted a few times and said, this may be a stupid question, but how do you do this? How would you react if this happened to you with a guest? And people are willing to share and support fellow podcasters. So that's something I really like about about doing this. You mentioned the upcoming interview with the ladies from Stories of Scotland. Do you have any other interesting interviews in store for 2020? Well, I hope so. <laughs> you know, you hope all your interviews are interesting. I've got two or three more that I'm still trying to schedule. But one episode that's coming up is a friend who, like me, is a balloonist. It's an interesting personal story, and I like getting into those as well. He was a balloonist and uh, then was unfortunately involved in a serious auto accident that basically took away his flying career. He's now, four, almost five years later, about to get back to fly. His physical rehab has gone well enough that he's going to be able to do that with some special equipment. But it basically took away his livelihood, his career. He was a commercial balloon pilot. And over the course of his rehab, he'd begun the very first pedal kayaking business in Scotland. And 2020, Scotland, from a tourism standpoint, they adopt a special theme for a year. And 2020 is the year of coasts and waters in Scotland, promoting their coastline attractions and the various waters, whether it be the many lochs like uh, Loch Ness or sailing offshore. So his interview, his business, I thought was a great way for me to share his story, which is one of personal achievement, his perseverance through physical rehab after a devastating traffic accident that led him into, forced him really into a new line of work. And it ties in nicely uh, the fact that he's created this pedal kayaking business with the uh, tourism theme for Scotland this year. So that's coming up. I have another one that is along the same themes. Uh, There is a tourism trail, if you will, that they have in Scotland called the Whale Trail, and it's a trail along the western coast and some of the outer islands of Scotland where you can go and spot sea life, whales, dolphins, um, sea otters, etc. And so I've been chasing those folks for an interview for a while. Then another one I know I have coming up is I've discovered there is a place called London Scottish House, and it's in the city of London, not in Scotland, but it is home to the oldest volunteer pipe and drum band in the world. And they have a tremendous museum there, and they have an indoor drill where the band can practice its marching and drilling. And they have a fundraising drive going on to kind of refurbish the entire facility. And so hopefully I'll be telling their story in an upcoming uh, episode as well. So those are a couple that are on tap, and there are some others that are still just in the very early planning stages. So we'll see what comes along. How can people find Under the Tartan Sky on social media and ultimately listen to it? Well, like most podcasts, we're on most all the the popular listening apps, whether it be Apple's iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, Google Play, Music, etc. We're on all of those. The podcast is hosted on my own website, which is simply underthetartansky.scott. Uh, .scott is another business that I'm uh, associated with. .scott is a unique uh, URL registration for anyone that is either Scottish or has Scottish affiliation and wants to promote their quote-unquote Scottishness. Just recently, I was named as the USA ambassador, global ambassador for .scott, so my sites 
are all .scot sites, so it's under the tartan sky .scot. Uh, that's the website, and there is uh, an embedded player there, uh, so you can scroll through. There's almost 70 archived episodes that you can scroll through and, and listen to on the website, or as I say, they're found on all the various major listening apps. I also have a page on Facebook under the tartan sky, and on Twitter, my username there is at the underscore symbol, so it's at underscore Tartan Sky. And then personally, I'm on Twitter as at uh, Glenn Moyer one It's G-L-E-N-M-O-Y-E-R-1. So you can follow me personally. Do you have any oh, closing thoughts well. that you'd like to share or anything else interesting that you would like to communicate to the public listening to this podcast who are just discovering yours or to people who have listened to your podcast for a while now. Well, for those that have listened for a while, thank you. Obviously, without them, I probably wouldn't be continuing to what I do. And occasionally, you get into a lull, and I kind of get down and think, ah, why am I going to continue this? And then you have one of those brilliant interviews, and you say, oh, yeah, this is why I do this. I like it so much. To those who haven't tried it, don't let the fact that it's, you know, Scottish turn you off. You don't have to have a burning passion about Scotland. I mean, if you have a curiosity about tartan, or if you are a whiskey drinker, I've done a piece with some great tips on how to find the right whiskey for you to drink, things on Scottish food and drink and uh, railway journeys in Scotland, all sorts of things. It's a very wide-ranging subject matter that you'll find. And then generally, I think to the listeners, there are thousands of podcasts out there on any and every subject you can imagine and probably a few that you can't. And so I, I would say just see what's out there in the great big world. You may find things that you had no idea uh, were there or and they somehow speak to an interest that you have and then start listening. And, and then for all anyone who listens to a podcast, one of the best things you can do for any podcaster is to give them a review, you know, share on social media that you listen to the show and that you like it and uh, encourage others to do so and then write reviews on like uh, Apple Podcasts because that really helps us get our shows found by other potential listeners. And that's really the greatest service I think listeners can do for us. Thank you so much, Glenn, for uh, taking the time out of your day to talk to me and to everyone listening about Under the Tartan Sky. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. I hope we both find new listeners through this process. And a great interview, by the way. Kudos to you. Thank you. To those listening to your podcast of mine, have a great day, and we'll chat soon. Hi, I'm Linda. And I'm Jane. And we have a brand new podcast called Bedknobs and Broom Flicks, where we talk about witches of the entertainment world. From the horror movies Warlock, Suspiria, The Witch, and The Blair Witch Project, the more comedic or whimsical, such as Harry Potter, Hocus Pocus, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and The Blair Witch Project. No movie, TV show, or book is off limits. All witches, man witches, sorry warlocks, we're not calling you that, witches brews, witches of history, familiars, and witch-like activity will be discussed as we laugh and have fun talking about the wonderful world of witches. So join us every other week for some fun witchy talk. All witches welcome.